Hello, and welcome to the Warden Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Kian Asani, and today we're joined by Dov Marmor, the head of Green Dot's Banking as a Service division, which is the platform used by companies like Uber, Intuit, Apple, and Stash Invest to create custom financial products for their customers. He is also a fintech lecturer at Cornell University's Johnson School of Business, where he earned his MBA and serves on the alumni board. Hi, Dov. Thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. We're excited to have you on. Uh, I thought that we could start with your fascinating background uh, before we dive into Green Dot. Um, tell us a bit about what you were doing prior to joining Green Dot uh, and what kind of led you to being interested in fintech and financial services. Absolutely. Uh, so grew up in Miami, uh, went to University of Maryland Business School undergrad and then to Cornell grad school. Um, for my, my first career, I started off in institutional financial services. I uh, worked for Standard & Poor's for six years uh, and was uh, one of their top BD folks kind of coming right out of school. So I kind of had a natural, natural talent for connecting with executives, providing value, and figuring out kind of how, how to make partnerships work with uh, large financial organizations. Uh, after about six years there, I decided to take some time off and uh, – took a one-way flight to South America and kind of traveled around Colombia, Peru, Bolivia for a few months. And, you know, for those listening, one of the best experiences of my life, uh, truly an amazing time to take off and kind of experience the world. And I was able to come right back to, uh, to the world of finance without too much of a hiccup. Uh, and when I got back, uh, I called a company called Super Derivatives that we used to have a partnership with. And Super Derivatives was a uh, FX derivatives trading platform uh, that was able to price really complex financial structures. And what I say about that is, you know, if you could learn how to price an over-the-counter derivative, you can do about just about anything in the world. Um, did that for about a year until the company sold to Intercontinental Exchange. Uh, but what was good about that, it gave me a background in cloud technology and foreign exchange. And that was right around the time that fintech, you know, previously called financial technology and not really the most exciting industry, it was really turning into, you know, the next generation of tech and the new exciting and hot industry. Uh, so from there, my entry into fintech was joining a company called Currency Cloud. It was a Google Ventures-funded platform for creating cross-border payments companies. Uh, they were the company behind TransferWise when it first launched. Uh, they did products with major FX brokerages. Uh, they did products with a lot of the European fintech startups that came to market. And, you know, the way that that business ran was, you know, if you were a new company coming to market and you wanted to build a cross-border payments business, you would have to go country by country, open up bank accounts, get regulation. It would probably take you 10 years and $10 million uh, just to get to MVP. So the place that, you know, this company came in was, why don't we build the platform for ourselves? They started off as an FX brokerage, and then they said, you know what, we can take that platform, or we can offer it to other businesses and let them create businesses on top of our platform. Uh, and that's kind of the genesis of platform as a service uh, within the fintech space. Yes, yeah, so that's really interesting. So you actually spent a lot of time in financial services and then kind of moved slowly into fintech with super derivatives and then currency cloud. Uh, it sounds like you have a pretty big um, idea of what's going on in the fintech space, not only in banking as a service or digital banking, but also in the capital market side. Um, eventually led you to making that switch from the capital market side to more of a direct-to-consumer banking product. 
That's a great question. So, you know, institutional finance was the place that everybody wanted to be when I graduated. You know, investment banking was the ultimate job you would get out of school. And I think that you saw kind of a fundamental shift after 2008 uh, where compliance kind of became the, the focus of the large major banks. They kind of operated quite, quite a bit more slowly uh, and kind of tightened credit requirements. And, you know, it just became a really poor experience for the consumer. Uh, and, you know, to fill that void came in these fintech companies that said, you know, the banks of yesterday, you know, the big money center banks, they weren't built for the millennials of today, right? The idea that they're only open from nine to five, that they have kind of archaic smartphone interfaces. Uh, they don't really appeal. No one gets excited about their, their major bank account. Uh, but this new breed of company came in and said, you know what, we're going to really focus in on the consumer. We're going to understand what type of financial problems they experience. We're going to find out how they want to engage with their financial institution. And, you know, what we learned is a lot of the time it's really in the background. Like financial services is something that everyone's a little bit apprehensive about, and it's something that they could all use help learning and all use help to kind of put on autopilot and, you know, help themselves on that way to success. And that's really the market that a lot of these fintech companies came in to address. How do I make financial services cheaper? How do I remove a lot of the fees? And how do I make the user experience something that people actually get excited about and tell their friends about? Um, so that was what excites me about fintech in general. And then the as-a-service model is that there need to be companies in this space that enable these innovators to bring new products to market. Because to buy a bank and to launch a product from scratch, you know, it's really difficult for a new startup company to go ahead and do that. So companies like Green Dot, we've built our infrastructure over 20 years. So we issue, you know, millions of cards every year under the Green Dot brand and other brands that we've bought throughout the years. And we can take that core technology and banking as a service says, hey, Uber, hey, Apple, hey, Walmart, you know, do you want to build your own financial services product? Do you think you have a unique edge? that your customers would love to, to bank with you or to have a prepaid card with you or to have a payments program with you? Uh, well, you don't have to go ahead and become a bank. You know, that's not your core competency. Your core competency is user experience design. Your core competency is connecting with customers. Your core competency is, you know, support and, you know, making incredible, uh, incredible connections between people. So, why don't you bring all of that creativity and all that design capability and all that distribution prowess? You know, tell us what you want to build, and we have the banking experience, and we have the infrastructure, and we have all these other pieces where we can build it for you and bring it to market a lot faster than you might be able to do on your own. And that's the, that's the, the space that the as-a-service plays in. Currency Cloud did it for cross-border payments, and banking as a service at Green Dot, we do that for domestic banking programs. Wow, so that's interesting. So... Taking a step back, can you tell us a bit about the history of Green Dot, just in terms of how it started? Banking as a service is a bit of a newer product for them. What what caused them to that switch um, to becoming more of a multi-line uh, product offering uh, platform? So 20 years ago when the company started, uh, started by our founder, Steve Street, who's still the CEO, uh, and he basically identified that there was a large portion of the population that was unbanked or underbanked, and the existing financial services in the market weren't right for them. Uh, so he created the prepaid debit card and over 20 years built that into a staple of financial services uh, for many people across the U.S. And in order to, to create 
prepaid debit cards, you kind of had to build this infrastructure over time. You know, the ability to issue cards, the ability to track transactions, the ability to manage fraud and risk and, and bank and regulatory compliance. So all those different pieces of the puzzle were built over many, many years and turned into this really, really scalable platform uh, that can issue cards and support millions and millions of people. Uh, the genesis for banking as a service came when other companies came to Green Dot and said, hey, we think we can build a really incredible product for our customers, but we're not a bank and we don't really want to become a bank, but we want to build a financial product. And can you help us do that? And that sure. journey started with Walmart and the Walmart Money Card, which is one of the largest prepaid card programs in the country. Uh, it helps you know, Walmart's customers get cash back in-store and online on the things that they purchase. And then we've built all these really cool tools into that product over time, uh, like something called uh, Prizeling Savings that has encouraged. Uh, it's, a, it's a tool where you can put money away each month and be entered into a sweepstakes to win big prizes. Uh, and it's helped Walmart's customers save over $2 billion uh, since we yeah. launched the program. So we kind of build those features to make it really special for each one of those partners. And then from there, we built products for Uber. We built products for into its TurboTax business. Uh, we've built a P2P payment system for Apple Pay Cash, uh, as well as Stash Invest. We built their new banking product that seamlessly connects banking and investing in a single app user experience. So each one of those companies came with a different set of customer problems that they wanted to solve. They all had super innovative teams of engineers and product designers uh, where they could bring a really unique set of features to banking. And they just continuously challenge us in terms of, you know, what could we make banking look like, you know, this year, next year, and 10 years down the line. The Stash product is really interesting. Um, Stash product is that you can actually get uh, stock uh, back from uh, companies that you spend money at. That's a really fascinating product that I think that a lot of Stash customers really enjoy using. Can you talk a bit about how that product came to be and the genesis of that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, most credit cards that you know, they have cash back rewards, right? You, you spend money, you get cash back into your account. And that's pretty cool. You know, it usually comes back in the form of points. But if you think about what you do with those points, you actually accumulate them and then you spend more money, right? You, you save it up for a hotel, you're going to put down your points, and you're going to spend another $500 or so on, on that point. Uh, what's really cool about Stash is it takes that same concept, but instead of rewarding you with points, it rewards you with stock in the places that you shop. So if I shop at the Nike store, I get Nike stock. If I shop at Walmart, I get Walmart stock. If I sh shop at Chipotle, I get Chipotle stock. Uh, and if you connect that to investment theory, you know, Peter Lynch, who's the famous portfolio manager of Magellan Fund, you know, he would pick investments by going to the mall with his kids and seeing where his kids wanted to visit and checking out the lines in the different stores. And the idea was that if lots of shoppers are going to these different companies, there's a good chance that they have, you know, a long trajectory of success in the future. And Stockback actually lets users create their own little mini Magellan Fund, right? Because my Stockback portfolio is actually representing all the different places that I shop. Right? So if, if that stock is in my portfolio, it's, hey, I actually probably think this company is pretty cool uh, because obviously I shop there all the time and I'm adding their stock to my portfolio every time. And what that does is it gets people interested in investing, right? So Stockback is triggered off of when you spend money using your Stash debit card that's issued by Green Dot. So we created that product in partnership with Stash. And then Stash decided, you know what we, what we want to do to make our product really special is we want the debit card to help people get on the track to invest in. So wouldn't that be cool if we could figure out a way to do that? 
So now every time you swipe with your Stash debit card, Stash can basically take that transaction and say, oh, this person just bought Nike. I should buy the Nike stock. And it creates this really cool user experience. People are super excited about it. And since we've launched it, it's just been a huge success. So we're very, very excited. Yeah, we actually had Brandon Krieg on the podcast a couple months ago, and he was so excited about this product. I mean, just the, the idea of getting people excited about saving um, and bringing on some mm-hmm. kind of financial responsibility, this, he was so excited about that. And Green Dot does a lot of stuff that kind of helps with financial well-being. Can you talk about some of the, some of the uh, pieces of the, the application and the platform that help promote uh, financial well-being and responsibility for for consumers. Well, so on the banking as a service platform, uh, we have all the core features that allow you to build a to build a product. And each one of our partners decides what are the unique features that they're going to put into place to further financial well-being. So, for example, Uber. For them, we created a cashback rewards engine. So if you're an Uber driver, the biggest expense you have is things like gas and food and the other things that you spend money on uh, as part of your driving experience. So we created a product that rewards drivers instantly with cashback on gas and Walmart and other items that they would spend on on a regular basis. We also created it so that a driver can cash out for free five times a day to their Uber debit card. Uh, and then we have an instant pay product where they can cash out instantly to any bank account of their choice. So we basically look at that customer base and we say, you know, what are the things that they need from a financial services perspective? And it's really fast access to money and the ability to earn more money on the Uber platform by lowering their expenses. And those are the two things that we felt we could help through a financial services product. In uh, another example, if you look at, at Intuit, you know, when you finish your TurboTax return, there's a lot of folks that prefer to get their funds very quickly onto a prepaid card. Uh, so that they can use it to uh, spend money on bills and groceries and all the things that they have that they have to use money for uh, in the regular course of their life. And one of the really cool products that we built with them this year uh, was a refund advance that allows people to, you know, get funds instantly onto a virtual card uh, when they finish their tax return and have money owed to them. And the responses have just been unbelievable from a consumer perspective. People just saying, you know, I really needed to buy groceries. I didn't know where I was going to get my money from. And all of a sudden, my tax return came two weeks earlier than I was expecting. And, you know, thank you so much, and we can't wait to see customers for life. So those are the types of really wow customer experiences that we look to build for this demographic, you know, helping them get their money faster, helping them save money, helping them invest. You know, all those different pieces of the puzzle are things that Green Dot is passionate about for our own customers uh, and that we help our partners enable through the Bass platform as well. So it it seems like, consumers get huge amounts of benefits from using these types of uh, debit card products and white label products that Green Dot builds for its uh, business its business customers. Where, where, where is this going then in the future? I mean, why do, why do we even need traditional banking debit card platforms anymore if we have get such great rewards from the places that we shop at the most? That's really the question. Um, I think in the future, you know, things take a long time to shift. Uh, but what we're finding is that consumers uh, prefer to bank with the brands that they love, right? If you can bank with Stash, that also kind of provides this incredible user experience that gets you investing for $5. You know, we're finding that people actually want to do that. That's what Stash's customers told them. We want you to build a bank account. You know, with Uber drivers, we realize, you know, it's actually really beneficial to have a small business account. 
you know, you're running your own business on the Uber platform. You, know, you should probably have a way to have a cashback rewards program custom built for you. You know, there's a lot that goes along with that. Um, you know, Walmart's customers, you know, that's a, one of the biggest prepaid card programs in the country. You know, the, it just goes to show that there's so much loyalty among that customer base for what Walmart provides them. And this isn't a really competitive space. And having that daily touch point with the customer where every time they go look at their balance, they're, they're seeing that Walmart logo. And every time they want to save more money, they're shopping with their Walmart money card. You know, those are the types of experiences that we can bring to bear. And I think over time, what you'll see is that, you know, if customers can bank anywhere, maybe they'll prefer to bank with the brands that they love uh, instead of the more formal financial institutions. I don't think, you know, big banks are going anywhere. Uh, there'll always be a place for them. But I think there's an underserved demographic of the market that really wants optionality and they want choice and they'll switch banks if we give them a fantastic enough user experience. Yeah, absolutely. So what are the challenges facing banking as a service platforms today? Uh, I guess the adoption has been fast, but not as fast as we think and banks aren't going anywhere, like you said, but um, what, what are the challenges that you guys face in continuing to expand and uh, grow the platform? That's a great question. So, you know, what, what I think about all the time is kind of how do we scale, how do we build more, how do we launch new features, and, you know, how do we keep up with the with, uh, speed of innovation that our partners bring to bear? You know, when you partner with tech companies, the best part about it is they come up with an amazing new idea every day, right? And that idea is something that financial services has never seen before, and it'll be unbelievable for, for that particular market. And, and, you know, what I work on all the time is, you know, how do I build those products? You know, how do I enable them with the right features on the back end of our tools to kind of bring those ideas to life? Uh, and how do I do it in a way that delights both our partners and their customers? And that's what we think about all day of banking as a service. And yes, it is, it is, a, it is a, something that takes time to build, um, but the rate of adoption has just been fantastic. And we're really, really excited about the future and what, you know, what we think we can build here. So who do you view as your primary competitors then in this space? I mean, why can't incumbent banks provide a similar service for Apple or Uber or Intuit? Why is it so difficult for them to do that? Is it just because they're such big organizations and they're not nimble enough? Or is it that it, they just don't have the competency to do it? Well, uh, we've actually built this really unique uh vertically integrated platform over time that's really not seen most of the places. Uh, so we have our own core technology stack that allows us to, to build APIs against that and to innovate much faster than a traditional bank might have when they outsource that to a third party. Uh, we have a business that's been created solely for the end-to-end -end program management of large-scale banking programs. So we're kind of custom-built to do this already. Uh, and then we hired an incredible team of executives with experience in the industry of building third-party banking programs, bringing those to market in a safe and compliant way. Uh, and, you know, as we've grown this portfolio of partners, the market has started to take notice, and Green Dot is, you know, typically at, at the top of a list of companies that they're going to call if they want to actually go out and try to build their own banking products. Right. No, that makes sense. So do you see any other emerging fintechs or other competitors to Green Dot that could be, like, in the future provide a similar banking as a service product, or is it just going to be too expensive to build out at this point and maybe the barriers to entry are already there? 
there are def- there's always going to be com- competition in any, in any strong space that you get into in any place where there's a lot of opportunity. Um, I think that, you know, an analogy I like to use is if you're going to build, if you want to build your first car, you know, you might put together, you know, a tire from one place, an engine from another, a body from another place, kind of put it together in your garage. And you're probably going to have, you know, a really pretty car, uh, but one that potentially doesn't run as well as it should. Uh, and what I think Green Dot brings to the table with 20 years of experience is that we're this factory that is used to building and producing financial products at scale. Uh, and that's why the enterprise companies that we partner with choose Green Dot because there's that level of trust that's been built with us over time. You know, the fact that we own our own bank, the fact that we built our own technology stack, the fact that we have over 100,000 retailer integrations, all those pieces of the puzzle make Green Dot a really attractive company to work for because we're, we're vertically integrated in that way. Uh, there are new companies that are coming into the market that potentially could compete with what we're doing. Um, but, you know, without that 20 years of infrastructure build, you know, it's, it's never going to be an apples-to-apples apples comparison. You know, you might say, like, AWS as a cloud company, which has just such massive scale, it's really hard to catch up to them at this point. And I think Green Dot will continue to have that, that competitive advantage because of how long we've built our platform and, you know, the level of talent and experience that we have under one roof to help launch these sorts of programs. Absolutely. So uh, I was reading on your website that you guys don't charge overdraft fees. Um, obviously, that's a huge pain point for uh, millennials and minorities in America uh, who get crushed with overdraft fees for just a small um, overdraft on their debit card account. Can you tell us why you don't do that and how you're able to do that economically? So our mission is affordable financial services for the masses, right? It, basically, our company was founded out of this idea that, you know, traditional banks weren't treating the underbanked and the millennial populations correctly, and we could build something better. When we went out and talked to customers, one of the biggest headaches and pain points was overdraft fees. And for those who don't know what overdraft fees are, it's basically, you know, I buy a coffee and I spent 10 cents more on my card than I actually had in my account, and I get hit with a $30 to $40 fee. And I can tell you that 100% of people who have that experience come away with an absolutely horrible taste in their mouth, and that's part of the reason that, you know, some banks are putting profit over customer experience, and over the long run, that's going to come back to bite them. So Green Dot, when we launched our banking charter, you know, the idea was, you know, no overdraft fees. We're going to be fair and transparent in our pricing. We're going to make our financial services affordable. Um, and our partners share that, that philosophy and that morale. Right? We want to build things that help people. We want to get people on the path to financial success. We want to provide affordable financial services. We don't want to, you know, hide fees anywhere. Uh, and that's been, you know, a core focus of the platform that we've built and the business model that we run. And I think over the long term, it definitely pays dividends in terms of customer loyalty and in terms of brand loyalty that we build. Absolutely. You're also a FinTech like Cornell, where you got your MBA. Uh, what are the key takeaways that you want your students to walk away from your lectures with? So I've designed my, my course to really be of practical use. So, you know, I've done this for two years now with uh, Cornell MBA classes, uh, and what we do is we enter a project uh, to create a fintech product or a, a fintech uh, 
promotion campaign, you know, different, different projects each semester that we try to work on. Uh, but the idea is to fully immerse the students in the types of projects that I go through every day in this job. So in our first year, uh, the students built a bank for the Latino community, which really doesn't have their own banking product today. So I thought that was a really cool problem to try to tackle. Uh, the other team built a bank for the gig economy. And, you know, through that process, in the first week, they would go out and do interviews with customers that met that demographic and understood how do they bank, what do they like about their financial institution, what do they not like. So that first kind of step of information gathering gave everyone a really strong idea of what problems they were trying to solve. You know, then the next class might be, okay, now go research all the competitive products that are out there in the market and kind of tell me which, which checkboxes do they hit and what are they missing. Right. And then why don't you design a solution? What would your product look like if you were to bring that to market and kind of maybe do a mock-up of what the app might look like? And then from there, you're going to go ahead and bring it back to those people that you interviewed the first time and kind of gather their feedback. What do they think? What do they like? What do they not like? And through this process of iteration, by the end of the semester, you know, these students had created these unbelievable proposals of, you know, what would a bank look like for their specific demographic? And the reason I like to teach that way is because it hits on all the things that I loved about my MBA course, which was the professors that really engaged you in real-life scenarios and let you be creative in designing your own solutions to meet customer problems. I also was fighting against the part that I didn't like, which was, you know, I never really got that much out of learning about historical case studies about how someone else did it. What it gets me excited is doing it differently than someone else had done it in the past and using my own creativity and working with a team of smart people to build a solution that meets the needs of an existing problem. Uh, so that's kind of my teaching philosophy. Uh, the students have been extremely engaged. You know, I'm typically among one of the highest rated uh, projects that they get to work on over the years, and it's because I spend time with them every single Friday kind of going over the week's work and understanding, you know, what we could build, what we could iterate upon. And it gets them this really strong understanding of FinTech, of the problems that we try to solve, of a certain customer demographic, and a lot of folks come out of that really wanting to, you know, enter a career in FinTech. I try to help them along that path if I can as well. So you spent, obviously, you spent a lot of time in the FinTech space, both in your career and lecturing at Cornell. I'm curious, how do you see the FinTech landscape evolving over time, and how do you see it laid out today? We see a lot of different, you know, kind of market maps of what FinTech looks like. Um, so I'm curious to get your perspective on that. So historically, FinTech was all about uh, unbundling the bank. So each company focused on one little piece of the financial ecosystem. So somebody's going to do lending, some companies focused on investments, some companies focused on banking. You know, there's basically take the biggest bank in the world, figure out all the different functions that they attract, and let me just specialize in one of them. And what you're thinking that's really cool now is that these companies that have had massive adoption by solving one piece of the financial market are now looking to, oh, can I actually be the primary financial institution for this customer? What are all the different problems that they have, and could I potentially build products to support that and have your entire financial experience live within a single app? And I think what we've seen is the answer is customers are interested in that. Uh, the initial fintech experiences that were built between brands and these customers is something that's lasted for a longer, for a really long time. And there's lots of appetite to do more business with those companies. And you know, the really cool thing about fintech is these innovative startups they listen to their customers. You know, when Stash built the debit card product, it was because customers asked them to. 
So they're not just kind of putting their finger in the sky and saying, hey, what are we going to do next? You know, it's really listening. It's really understanding those needs and building products to meet them. So, you know, over time in the fintech landscape, I think you'll see the best companies in the world start to become the banks of tomorrow. Uh, and that's what we're trying to enable. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I mean, your customers have their finger on the pulse of everything going on with their employees and customers. I mean, it's, it, it makes total sense to kind of do that bottoms-up approach. Our last question for you is uh, you obviously teach a class of MBAs um, at Cornell. What recommendations do you have for them and for other MBAs who are thinking about entering the fintech space? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, you know, high-level fintech is an industry that's on fire. I think it has a huge trajectory uh, of where it can go, and it's a really exciting place to be. Uh, that whether you came from a traditional financial services background or more of a technology background, you know, ultimately there's places for everyone to live within this fintech ecosystem that combines those two skills in a really cool way. Um, if you want to make the leap and you haven't had experience in fintech, you know, I think what you just need to do is build your resume in a way that, that kind of makes you well-informed and takes the experience you've had in the past and applies it uh, to, to the job that you want. So I always recommend people start by subscribing to fintech publications like Lendit and Benzinga and Payments.com. They're talking about all the new deals that are happening. They're talking about all the new products that are launching to market. You know, if you just kind of take a daily read of that for a month, you'll be pretty well tuned in to the fintech landscape. Uh, the second piece is, you know, when you're going on interviews with fintech companies, they want to they know that you understand the fundamentals of how the businesses operate. And a great place to get those types of resources is looking at the quarterly reports of publicly traded fintech companies. So Green Dot is one of them. PayPal is another. Uh, MX has certain places that are fintech. So you can kind of look at the 10Ks and 10Qs of companies that are public, and you can find a ton of information there uh, about where they're investing, uh, what the P&Ls look like, you know, all the different, all the different pieces of the puzzle uh, that will make you really well informed about the industry as a whole. Uh, the next piece of advice is decide on the type of role you want. So even if you haven't done the role in the past, people can really accomplish amazing things when they put their mind to it. And try to frame up your experience in a way that's applicable to the role that you want. So if you want to move from sales into products, talking, talk about the products that you built as a salesperson. You know, you obviously engage with other companies. You help them along their path, along their journey to kind of create to create a new service for their customers, you know, talk about that and apply the data. And if you haven't done anything in the job that you want, take on a project and figure it out. You know, people come in and interview with us if they've actually taken on a project to build their own product in a place, in a, in a sector that they're excited about, that looks amazing for anyone. Uh, the fourth, and I think this is really the most important thing, is update your LinkedIn profile for the job that you want. Your LinkedIn profile today is your new resume. So if you want a job in FinTech, you know, really try to think about your past experience, uh, think about the role that you want to apply for, uh, and start to, you know, apply that in a way that a recruiter is going to go ahead and see and say, you know what, this person might actually be right for this role. Um, and if you don't have the right experience in FinTech, it's not something that's impossible to build. You can take on side projects, you can volunteer, you can build your own product roadmap. You know, there are all different types of things that you can do as an individual. I don't think that there's any limitation on what you've done in the past. It's really what you're willing to do in order to make that pivot uh, into the industry. And then, you know, the big one, the big final one is the best way to get into new industries is to network. You know, there's tons of fintech conferences and meetups that happen in all major cities throughout the year. Uh, people are really passionate about fintech. They attend these things, you know, in great numbers. 
And if you go and you just talk to people, tell them that you're interested, talk about their experience, uh, hear about the cool new companies that are coming to space or the big incumbents that are hiring for new positions, uh, that's really the best way to make those connections and get your foot into the, in the door at some of the more exciting companies out there. That's great advice. Thank you so much, Dov. And thank you for being on the podcast today. Absolutely. Such a pleasure.